with that, um, we really love it when we get a chance to hear from Maggie Keller. Maggie has preached in this community several times before. Um, she's really talented. She's got a gift. And so tonight, we get to hear from Maggie Keller. So Maggie, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Debbie. And I'm actually going to have um, my son Jack kick us off tonight with the reading. Jack, you ready? All right, let's do it. You want to stand up a step so they can see you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow all the, all, follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jack. something that John and I have been doing with the kids uh, over Lent. Just because we've been in Psalm 23, we've been kind of going it over uh, with them, especially at bedtime. And I think they all have it kind of memorized already, which is a little scary because their memories are so much better than mine. Um, Tonight we're going to be in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So I'm standing in the middle of my kitchen, and I'm surrounded by small children. Andrew, my youngest, is glued to my hip and yet somehow also lunging forward into the fridge. And he's pointing at everything and screaming unintelligible demands. Tommy, who's three and a half, is sitting at the table and he is begging for my help to put together a puzzle that I know he has completed independently at least 10 times. Grace, my only daughter, is sitting on the couch with her notebook and her pen and she's stuck on repeat. Mom, how do you spell example? Mom, how do you spell necklace? Mom, how do you spell Simon? Mom, mom, mom. And Jack, my oldest, standing right in front of me, he can't remember how to fold those paper fortune tellers and he wants help doing that. And I said in an exasperated tone, let's be honest, can you please practice your patience? And he just sinks to the ground and says, and that's why you're the worst mom ever. (laughs) And the psalmist writes, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Regardless of whether or not you can relate with that oddly specific moment of my life last Thursday at 2.05 p.m. in my kitchen, um, I, I hope that you're a little bit familiar with the feeling that maybe you don't get to spend as much time near still waters and in green pastures as you might like. Last week, Debbie started us off in this series with looking at verse one, which was, The Lord is my shepherd. And if we believe that God is our shepherd, then we also believe that we are sheep. And I, uh, as I got ready to learn a little bit about sheep, I turned to Pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber. Some of you are familiar with her. She preached a sermon once called The Truth About Sheep, a sermon by someone who doesn't know anything about sheep but knows a little about humans and only a tiny bit about God but is gonna take a shot at this anyhow. And it really resonated with me. It was very inspirational. 
So I actually have a question for you. Do you, are there any farm kids here? Anybody? Farm kids? Specifically, do you know what sheep are like? Raise your hand if you know what sheep are like. Great, okay, I don't. I am a suburban girl. I grew up in Bloomington. John likes to tease me, prestigious West Bloomington. Um, but I, I, I grew up in Bloomington, and uh, so I am not a farm kid, but my mom is an Iowa farm girl. And she has this like rock solid work ethic and this can-do attitude that doesn't quit. And when we were growing up, my brother and I used to beg her to tell us stories about life on the farm. And she always humored us. She would tell us about uh, walking beans in the early morning hours uh, of the summer, and she would tell us about going for secret swims in the stock tank, which is the cattle's drinking water, which is a big no-no. Don't tell my grandpa. And uh, she would tell us about picking vegetables from my grandmother's garden, and actually, you could pick it and then peel it right there, because my grandmother used to leave paring knives laid down in the soil at the end of the rows. Uh, so she would tell us all these stories, and she also would tell us about showing sheep with 4-H at the county fair. And she would tell us about how when lambs are born, they are super skittish, very afraid of humans. In fact, the, the comfort that sheep have with humans doesn't really start until they connect that humans equal food, and that you are responsible for their food, and you are where the food comes from, and that's when they begin to trust you. So I had this misconception Maybe I'm not alone, I hope I'm not. I had this misconception that sheep are kind of stupid animals. And I, was, I took a little bit of offense at Psalm 23 because if God's my shepherd and I'm a sheep, I don't think sheep are very smart. And I am a little, you know, that rankles me a little bit. And uh, the truth that I learned though this week uh, is that even though we have this term sheeple, do you know what I'm talking about? Sheeple are people who are foolish and easily led astray. And the truth is that sheep are actually quite intelligent. I did not know this. In fact, I have read multiple accounts of farmers who insist that sheep are second only to pigs, and pigs are very intelligent animals. It's just that sheep have internalized behavior from their ancestors, thousands of years of sheep biology that's being imprinted on lambs that are being born this year. So a couple of the things that I learned this week is that in ancient Israel, sheep were grazers 100% of the time. They did not have a human bringing food to them. They had a shepherd bringing them to their food. But because they were grazers, they were always outside in the wild, and there were always threats of wild animals. And so sheep developed this habit of staying together because there was safety in numbers. And so if they stayed together as a flock, they would be protected. They want to belong and they want to feel safe. Sheep also, I learned, have excellent hearing. They have, almost, uh, they have almost unlimited peripheral vision. It's just that they lack depth perception. So anytime they sense a threat of danger, they can't necessarily tell how close that threat is. So they do the only thing that sheep can do, and they bolt, they run. And because they have that habit in them of staying together, when one sheep runs, they all follow and they disperse. So this is what we've learned about sheep now. They have limited sight, they tend to follow others, they can sense danger, they feel, uh, when they feel threatened, they flee. Is anyone else starting to feel a little defensive? Because I was. I felt like, okay, David, don't put too fine a point on it. I guess I'm a sheep. And so speaking as a sheep, as Debbie reminded us last week, having the Lord as your shepherd means that you have a life without lack. Your shepherd knows what you need, 
and lead you to it. You need a pasture to graze in. And I think, well, I'll speak for myself. When I think of green pastures, this is what comes to mind. Oh, isn't that beautiful, verdant, green grass, rolling hills. There's still water in there somewhere. This is the Cotswolds in England, okay? This is not Israel. Israel receives less than 22 inches of rainfall per year, and that rain comes in six months of the year, which means that for six months it is completely bone dry. This is what it looks like to graze your sheep in the desert. That's the Negev in Israel. So if I'm a shepherd and I'm in ancient Israel, I have one job today, and it is to find enough grass for my sheep to eat just today. I'm not looking for the whole week. I don't need the promise of a lot of grass. I just need to find what they need for this one day. This is challenging to us. It's challenging for me. I hope I don't speak for you. It's challenging because I live in a culture and a society that tells me that dependence is weakness, that independence is prized. It is the most important thing. That if I have to depend on somebody else for my, meeting my basic needs, then something has gone wrong. I have failed myself because I'm not independent. And uh, there's this idea, too, that we have sort of bought into, which is that there's never enough. This idea of scarcity, that I have to get more and more and more and more because if I don't get it, then somebody else will. But the Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. And tomorrow, your shepherd will take you to a new pasture. And not only will your shepherd take you to a new pasture, he will make you lie down. The Hebrew word here for he makes me lie down is yarbitzani. My kids have loved saying that with me this week. <laughs> yarbitzani. And uh, it means to sprawl out as only an animal does. It's only ever used in the Bible for animals. The verb is in the imperfect verb tense, which you don't care about, but I do because I was an English major. And the imperfect verb tense means it is continuously ongoing. He is always making me lie down in green pastures. The other interesting thing about Yarbitzani here is that um, sheep don't lie down. They almost never lie down because of that threat of danger, both within and without the flock, because not only are there wild animals for grazing sheep, there's also this thing called the budding order, as in headbutting, where they're jockeying for position in the flock, and they have to, there's tension, there's competition, they're trying to figure out who's on top. So there's threats outside the flock and inside the flock, so sheep are never comfortable enough to lie down, except for when they are in the presence of their savior. Shepherd, I said savior, I meant shepherd. <laughs> when they're in the presence of their shepherd. That is when they feel comfortable enough to lie down. So there's something timely about this, right? We live in uncertain days, maybe. There's kind of a sense that there is a threat that has been identified. We have this. This is actually a picture that my cousin sent me. She lives in Seattle. This is their grocery store. We have identified a threat. And when one person runs, we all run, and apparently we're all running to Costco. <laughs> you cannot buy hand sanitizer in the state of Washington right now. Everyone's out. There isn't any available. In fact, John and I were talking this week to a friend who lives in Seattle, and he said he was at Costco on a weekend, and it was standing room only. We are members at Sam's Club. I cannot imagine Sam's Club and the thousands of people that would need to be there for it to be standing room only. So he's at Costco, standing room only, and he sees like 10 people go past him, and they're all carrying coconut oil. 
our friend is a very intelligent person. And then all of a sudden he's like, is there something about coconut oil that I don't know? Do we need coconut oil? So he gets on the phone with his wife. Do we have enough coconut oil? If there were a quarantine, would we have enough to get us through? So based on no reason but that he saw someone else with coconut oil, he goes to the aisle where they sell the coconut oil and the shelves are empty. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, except for some coconut oil and maybe some hand sanitizer, okay? That was funnier in my head. (laughs) Okay, so maybe, just maybe, there is a fair comparison between sheep and humans. I know that I prefer to stay together with my flock. I know that I pick up on other people's sense of fear and danger, and I know, I know, that I am in need of still waters sometimes as well. Anyone here outdoorsy people? Feel free to raise your hand. Outdoorsy people, I am an indoorsy girl. (laughs) But a lot of the people that I love are outdoorsy people. John knows that if he wants to get me to go on a hike with the family, he just needs to get me to hike near water. As long as he can deliver the water, then I'm in. This is a picture from a hike that we took at William O'Brien State Park. If you get me near water, I'm feeling good. I have this memory growing up. Uh, Trailing my fingers over the edge of the canoe as my dad paddled us through the BWCA, Boundary Waters. This is from that trip. I love water. It gives me this sense of peace and calm. If you give me a body of water and a book, I am set. This picture is from the first time I went to the ocean, my senior year of college, and I just sat on the beach. It was great. And that's not even still water. That's just water. I just need water. Add water is happy. Okay. He leads me beside still waters. That verb in Hebrew again, yena heleni, he leads me. It is also in the imperfect tense, which is to say that if God is always going to make you lie down in green pastures, he is always going to lead you to the still waters that you need when you need it. So the thing about sheep is that if they try to drink from water that has any kind of current flowing through it, they are likely to fall in and drown. There is only one kind of water that is safe for sheep, and that is still water. So that is where the shepherd is going to lead his sheep. Still here is the word menucho in Hebrew. It's rooted in the word menucha, and that's translated as rest. And that's not like the afternoon snooze that maybe you took this afternoon. It is the kind of rest that is granted to people who are weary, who are heavy laden. It's the kind of comfort It's used elsewhere in the Bible to describe the comfort that comes with being settled in your permanent home. Think about that for a minute. If you're lucky, maybe you've got one. Maybe if you're really lucky, you've got two places that you can think of that feel like home to you. And when you are permanently settled there, there is a kind of comfort that comes with that. Almost exactly two years ago, John and I experienced a set of circumstances that felt like they were happening to us. Do you know what I'm talking about? Didn't feel like we had a lot of uh, agency, a lot of choice in the matter. The first, uh, well, let me back up. At the time, I was working two part-time jobs. I was working on building one of those jobs into a full-time speaking career, and our children were in childcare three days a week, and I was pregnant with our fourth. The first thing that happened was we got a notice that our childcare rates were raising such that my part-time salary was not gonna cover childcare anymore. The second thing that happened was my part-time job at our old church was eliminated. And at the same time, the public speaker with whom I was apprenticing myself, who happened to also be my mom, decided to not apprentice me any longer and not help me build my business. So on March 1st, 2018, I became a stay-at-home mom. 
and I didn't feel like I had chosen it. I felt lost, I felt lonely, and I felt like I had been forced to say goodbye to this part of me, this part that is the person God is making me to be. And I was confused why I was having to set that down for a little while. So a few months into this gig of being a stay-at-home mom to four kids, we got the last kind of notice. Our landlord called. We had 60 days to be out of our house that we had lived in for four and a half years. If you have ever moved on a time crunch, you know exactly the kind of insanity that follows. So first we had to decide, are we gonna rent or are we gonna try to buy? Then we decided to try to buy, and then Craig, who's here, hi Craig. Craig showed us 25 houses in 21 days. And then uh, we put a bid on a house. It was over asking and the house wasn't on the market yet. And then I put John on a plane to Amsterdam because he had a business trip. And when he landed in Amsterdam, I called him and I said, honey, we bought a house. So then I got the house packed up and we did the closing and I, you know, all that stuff happened. And on Black Friday 2018, you showed up for us. Zane was there and Sam and Soren were there and the Burquists were there and my parents were there and my high school best friends were there and you moved our boxes from one place to another and we got to our house that we just bought and I fed everybody soup and bread around our dining room table and the sun was streaming in that dining room window and I looked around that table and I didn't have the word for it then but I can tell you folks, it was menucha. It was the rest, the comfort of being settled in your permanent home. It was so meaningful to have been walked through that process by people in this room tonight and to feel finally comfortable, finally settled, and to be at peace, at rest. In every translation that I read, oh wait, I have to back up. Let me put a little bow on that little story. John and I look back on that and we know that if I had been working, it would have been really hard we needed somebody at home to see us through that transition. So it's not what either of us chose, but it's what we needed. Do you hear that? Sometimes God leads you to a place that you don't know you need, but it's where you need to be. So in every translation of Psalm 23 that I read this week, it ends right here with that phrase, still waters, except for one. There's a translation called The Voice, and it's pretty recent, 2012, and they add one little phrase at the end. He soothes my fears. He soothes my fears. I don't think that this verse is about the kind of rest that comes with more Sabbath and less screen time. I think those are good things, but I don't think that's what it's talking about here. I think this verse is about your shepherd who wants to give you rest from your fears. He wants to make you calm because you feel his presence there with you. He wants to give you the gift of comfort when you have felt the threat of danger. Maybe you have been on high alert so long you don't even know you need rest. Your body has been in fight or flight mode. You can't even remember what it feels like to be calm. And yet that is the promise of this verse, I wonder. That even when you don't remember how to be calm, that that's the gift your shepherd wants to give you. That's the place he wants to lead you. Reading about sheep this week made my mind go to Luke 15, which is the parable of the lost sheep. 
It's the story that Jesus tells. He is hanging out with some people of questionable background, which is just to say he's with the sex workers and the tax collectors. And the tax collectors are reviled in this time because tax collectors are Jews working for the government, taking taxes from the Jews and exploiting their fellow people, okay? We don't like these people. So the, the religious people are watching Jesus take his meals with people that they feel are outsiders and they start to grumble. They start to mutter a little bit to themselves. Why is Jesus eating with these people? And Jesus knows that they're upset. And so he tells them this story. He turns to the religious leaders and he says, okay, so suppose you had a hundred sheep and you get back to the fold that night and one of them is missing. Do you not leave the 99 and go out searching for that one lost sheep, searching, searching, searching until you find that sheep. And having found the sheep, put it over your shoulders and carry it all the way home. And then when you get home, call all your friends to celebrate because I had the sheep and it was lost, but now it's found, so come and celebrate with me. That's the parable of the lost sheep. And I grew up in the church and I probably heard this parable like 100 times. And if you'd asked me growing up, I probably would have paraphrased it this way. Lost sheep is code for blatant sinner who has walked away from their faith and the church because of their sin. And Jesus is going to get that sheep and bring them back and get them to repent of their sins and we will celebrate when they come back to church. It's a little gross, a little crass. I think I probably would have even gone so far as to say Jesus is saying in this parable, look, if you just give me a little more time, I'll get them to repent and then they can fit in to your religious community with you. I could not have been more wrong. I could not have been more wrong. And here's the first clue I had that I was wrong. That word lost, it doesn't mean wandered away. It means lost like destroyed. It's like, it's not when I say I lost my cell phone, it's when I say I lost my grandma last year. Do you hear the difference? And the thing about lost sheep, sheep don't wander away from the flock. They have all of this habit and instinct to stay together with their people. So the only way, the way I think about it, the only way we're gonna get a sheep isolated from the rest of its flock is in this one situation. If the flock sensed danger and they scattered and that sheep got separated from the rest before the flock could come back together. That's the only way we get a sheep off on its own. The sheep was forced to flee because it felt threatened and now it's lost and it's by itself and it's separate from the flock. Jesus told this story to the religious leaders to say, look, the people that I'm spending time with, they are like deeply upset sheep. They were threatened, they had to flee and I need to get them and bring them back home. That is why they are outsiders. Not because you decided, but because they felt threatened and they had to leave for their own safety. Jesus is always coming after us, gathering us up because everybody's in and everybody matters. We showed this cartoon recently. It's, uh, it's by an artist called The Naked Pastor and I think it really gets at the heart of this parable. Each of us belongs to the shepherd. His love is not based on our performance, on what kind of sheep we are, on whether we're a good kind of that sheep. We belong because we're his. That's it. Nobody gets left behind. 
Nobody gets cut off from the rest of the group, no matter what the religious leaders say. So tonight, I wonder who you might identify with more. Sheep, shepherd. Maybe you are like one of the separated sheep and you are coming back into the fold after being threatened and having to flee. And to you, I say, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. We missed you. We were never whole without you and we have always needed you. Maybe you are a sheep who didn't know there was a flock and you're just getting to know our shepherd Jesus. And to you, I say, well, we're kind of a weird and smelly bunch, but we're sorry about that and you'll fit right in. Maybe you are a sheep who has always been part of the flock and you're watching all these sheep come in. That's me. And to us, I say, make some room. Make some room. Show them the best place to graze. Nudge them up when they fall and make sure, make sure, make sure you tell them the ways the shepherd has loved you. And maybe too, you are identify with the shepherd. I know some of you, you have this knack for seeing a sheep that's been separated and bringing them back into the fold. So maybe the invitation to you tonight is can you identify a sheep that's been separated? Can you extend to them this comfort of being settled in a permanent home, this sense of belonging? Can you bring more sheep into the fold? So I told you about that Nadia Bowles-Weber sermon. In it, she says these words, there is nothing wrong with the fact that I am a sheep of God's keeping and you are a sheep of God's keeping, for it is the truth. And why should we fear the truth? if it is the thing Jesus said would set us free. Would you stand with me? We're going to say the Lord's Prayer as we transition into the second part of our night. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. <laughs>